everyone. This is Andre from The Mental Elf, and I'm here with Stefan Rennick Eggleston, who is a Senior Research Fellow at the University of Nottingham. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, that's really great talk you gave on the NEON study here at the MindTech conference. Thank you for speaking to me straight afterwards. So yeah, let's get straight into it. First of all, what are recovery narratives? Okay, so for us as a study, recovery narratives are people's descriptions of how they've recovered from mental health problems. But importantly, when we're talking about recovery, we're not meaning symptomatic recovery in terms of people's symptoms having disappeared completely. Our definition of recovery narratives is a bit more inclusive than that. So it, incli- it includes narratives describing strength, success or survival after an experience involving mental health problems. But the narrative doesn't have to be completely focused on mental health problems. So it's not someone turning up and producing a narrative saying, I experienced depression and I recovered like this. For example, we've got one narrative where someone described joining a community football club and you can infer from a few sentences that their depression got less because of that. But the narrative was about the experience of joining the community football club. So for us, that is a recovery narrative and would be included in the NEON intervention. And I can see the anti-stigma role that these kind of recovery narratives can play. And, you know, thinking back in the UK over the last 20 years or so, we've used recovery narratives a lot in that way. Time to Change is a great example that you, you gave in your talk. What's the theory behind using them as a way of helping people with mental health problems? So, so certainly, even in NEON, reducing stigma can be part of that because, for example, we know that if people have internalised stigmatic views about mental health problems, there's plenty of mental health research which suggests that that will reduce their chance of seeking help from someone else. So just reducing self-stigma might lead to someone seeking help from another person or a statutory organisation. But we believe, and this is because of the the research we did early on in the study, that there there can be other beneficial impacts from learning from someone else's story. So, for example, um, just hearing from someone who has tried other things that you haven't might lead to you trying those things, like engaging in psychotherapy, for example, or um, just realising that recovery is more possible than you thought it was before might change your attitude to things and might lead you to different attempts to find a way towards some form of recovery for yourself. And so you've built this website and you're, you're researching the website at the same time. Uh, the NEON website, so Narrative Experiences Online is what NEON stands for. Do you know yet whether that website leads to people feeling more or less hopeful about their recovery? So we've, we've certainly had plenty of people who've taken part in our trials approach us and describe benefits that they've had from taking part in our trials and accessing recovery narratives through the web application. So certainly at an individual level, um, we know of plenty of people who've had benefits from it. Now, of course, a clinical trial 
ultimately assesses benefits at the level of a whole sample of people and we don't yet have the findings which statistically look at the benefits to the large group of people who took part in our trial. So we hope that we'll have those findings within a month or so. We look forward to that. Hopefully cover those on the Mental Health blog when they come out. I'm really interested in um, this idea of making somebody more hopeful about living with mental health problems. And I think traditionally the way that's been done is the recovery narrative has been presented in a kind of almost evangelical way. You know, you can have psychosis and still have a happy life. Look at this example of somebody who's happy with psychosis. But it's so much more complicated than that, isn't it? Because the thing that makes you more hopeful about your life isn't necessarily a very kind of um, cleaned, convenient, happy story. Personally, those make me really depressed. (laughs) You know, when I'm depressed, I listen to, you know, Leonard Cohen. How does that help me? It does somehow. So can you say something about the complexity and the sort of subjective nature of wanting to experience a recovery narrative and how that might support us through difficult times. Yeah, so I think there's there's lots of interesting detail to talk through there. So if if we think about hopefulness, for example, around psychosis, so one observation that's backed up by plenty of research is that societal beliefs about the possibility of recovery are out of step with the reality of recovery. It's a bit complex to assess, but broadly, 50% of people hospitalised with mental health experiences involving psychosis won't be experiencing psychosis five years later. And yet, large surveys of the population where people are asked about the chance of recovery from psychosis will place that chance as very much less than 50%. And of course, that message goes to people in many forms and even people report going to the health service and being told there's not much chance of recovery and if you're told there's not much chance of recovery by a professional well maybe you start to believe it but actually there is a greater chance of recovery than people might believe and possibly access to narratives describing recovery may make someone more more hopeful because it realigns their level of hopefulness with the actual reality yeah, and, and then I think that issue of um, very positive, very shiny narratives being difficult for some people is certainly one that we've thought about all the way through the study. We took lots of advice early on in the study from organisations who had already worked with narratives, and those organisations consistently told us that they believed that very positive narratives that ended up in a very hopeful position might not be the best for many people and that exactly that it might not be believable to someone experiencing profound distress that they could get to the point of not experiencing that distress even though it is possible so we've deliberately included right from the start of the project a broad range of narratives that describe both asymptomatic recovery but also people who are just starting a recovery process or who are part way along it. So every narrative of the very roughly 700 that we've got is characterised by a researcher as to the type of recovery that's described in the narrative. And we've worked very hard to ensure that there is a good distribution of all types of recovery in the collection that we've got. 
and people who use the web application can search the database based upon that characterization. So if you really don't want to see narratives that end in a very hopeful way, you can completely avoid them. And you can see those, those darker narratives that are closer to someone's start of a recovery process. And, and the opposite as well. So if you, if you just want to see a narrative that does have a happy ending, you can push a button and, and get a few hundred of those narratives as well. So we try as much as we can and cater for everyone's different needs in terms of how they can access the collection. What surprised you about the findings from this Neon work? I think, I think lots of things and, and lots of the surprising findings have come out of interviewing people and talking to people about using the system. Um, and from our analysis of the logging files that show how people use it, uh, it surprised me that there's a sub substantial group of people who have signed up for a trial and access very few narratives, but actually we believe that's really important to attend to because they may be people who view a narrative, see someone else's distress in the narrative and realise that the intervention is not for them because every recovery narrative, by definition, does have, have to describe a period of distress and for some people that might just not be the right thing for them to access. Um, and then it, it has surprised me the extent to which some people have described to us integrating Neon into their everyday life, including, for example, people who've described um, accessing a narrative around breakfast time each day as a way of, of boosting their mood for the day. So there is a group of people who have appropriated Neon in a very meaningful way into their lives. And then we've probably been surprised by some of the interaction that people have described to us. So, for example, um, we've had people describe to us using a narrative access through Neon to enable them to disclose something about their mental health experience to another person and hence perhaps to develop a slightly deeper relationship with that person. And, and we'd hope that those forms of disclosure would have benefits to people, but we hadn't really anticipated that as we, as we designed our web application, other than we did design it in the belief that perhaps people who were engaging with treatments such as psychotherapy might want to take a narrative to a psychotherapy session. So we have enabled people to go back to meaningful narratives, but we didn't really expect that it would be integrated into everyday social interaction. And then one of the really innovative things that you've done with Neon is using this kind of recommender system that people will be familiar with, you know, the same sort of system used by websites like Amazon, you know, you bought that, maybe you're also interested in buying this. Tell us about that and how you've used that in the context of narratives. Yeah, so the, the recommender system uses two different approaches to recommend a narrative. Uh, and all of this is based upon a part of our system that allows you to provide some feedback about a narrative after you've accessed it. So, for example, if one narrative has made you feel particularly hopeful, you can enter that into a checkbox on the system and it will be stored on your profile and it will be used to give you better recommendations in the future. And broadly, the recommender system 
finds narratives that um, our work suggests might help you in two different ways. So one is called uh, content-based recommendation. So the content-based algorithm looks at narratives that you have identified as helping you. So for example, by making you feel more hopeful. And it uses our database to find other narratives that are in some way similar to that narrative. And it recommends those. And the, and the underlying hypothesis there is that there's a higher chance than random that those similar narratives might have a beneficial impact on you. The other arm of the algorithm uh, is called a collaborative filtering algorithm. And this tries to find other people who are signed up for the NEON trials in parallel to you. It looks at narratives that have helped those people and it recommends those to you. And again, the, the hypothesis is that those narratives might have a greater chance than random of helping you. And our so we've done a thorough evaluation of the recommender system based upon the data collected in our trial. And the findings do show that it does better, better than random at finding a narrative that might be helpful to you, at least based upon people's ratings of the immediate impact of a narrative on them. So, um, yeah, what's next? You're writing this up, you're hoping to get it published. What's the next stage? Is this going to sort of disappear as a website or is it going to continue in some way? No, so the, the intention very much is that it continues. So we are currently examining all the different routes to make it available in the future. Um, there's some technical complexity around working out how it will be regulated um, to make sure that it continues to be a safer possible product for people. But our intention, and to an extent, this will be influenced by the findings of the of our clinical trials about whether neon for the sample as a whole turns out to help people but our intention is that it lives on in different ways and then as a team we're starting to engage in other pieces of research that use the theory and knowledge that we've developed through neon in other healthcare contexts so for example i'm involved in a study looking at recovery after periods of alcohol misuse, which combines the results of an ultrasound scan of your liver, which reveals something about the health of your liver, with access to a group of narratives describing recovery from a period of alcohol misuse for people who've received a similar score, and which looks at whether the combination of the liver scan and the narratives is effective at changing people's alcohol consumption and the health of their liver. So very much draws upon the theory that we've developed at NEON, but applies it in a different setting and has the potential to make its way out into NHS treatment in a different setting. So I think there are, there are two ways in which the NEON study might continue. Uh, one is through us finding a way to enable the NEON intervention to live on, either in its current form or perhaps in a modified form informed by what we've learned from interviews or the knowledge that we've developed from NEON may find its way into other applications.